Hello. Hey, Zion, good to see you again. It's been a while. <laughs> Friends all over the place. I never know who's here until I stand up here and look around. I just got to say hi to everybody and good. It's okay, all right. I see some dangerous friends in here. Say, so what do you mean by dangerous friends? Friends who actually believe in Jesus. <laughs> and not only that, but they believe he's alive. They don't believe just in an idea, in an intellectual ascent, in some sort of religious ideology that's just meant to make you good citizens. <laughs> you don't just believe that he rose from the dead. This is by what I mean by dangerous. You don't just believe that he rose from the dead. You believe that he's actually taken up residence in you. Yeah, that when he ascended to the throne, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in the throne room, that he came to actually live in you to make you the temple of the Holy Spirit's presence. And that from that vantage point that you actually are the throne room of God, that heaven's closer than you think. We're not talking about like rocketing out of here when we die and going off to someplace different or someplace else or distant. It's not distant, it's different. It's a difference in realms. It's a difference in dimensions. And if you can see it, like Sister said this morning, so beautiful in this testimony, when you're ready to see it, you'll see it. Mm -hmm. And when you see it, you can't unsee it. And you begin to realize, wow, heaven is not a distant place. It's just a different place. It's a different dimension than the one I'm actually standing in. It's a different realm than the one that I perceive with the senses of my physical being. It's a realm that actually gives me the capacity to not just know God personally, but to know the mind, the thoughts, the heart, the intent of the creator of the universe who loves you as you are, but doesn't leave you as you are. Who knew you before he formed you, which means you could be known before you knew you could be known. <laughs> so then what did he know? What he's always known about you is who you really are. He made up his mind about you long before you had the chance to get here and impress him or disappoint him. He knows who you are. He's not about to let your behavior, your issues, your failures, your faults, your limited perspective of life and yourself, he's not about to let any of that dictate to him how he can feel about you. He's going to love you just because he loves you. <laughs> Talk about hitting the ground running, huh? Uh, we're here, uh, so glad to be here and honored to be uh, in, in the house today and with uh, some of our dearest friends in the whole world, Jim and Mary, been friends, friends of ours for well over a decade and, and we've just walked with them through so much of life and they with us and, and we count them as, as just some of the best friends we have and uh, so when their son Wesley gets married, it's like, man, we got to be there and so uh, Jim's like, well, will you preach? And I said, Sure says, well, I'm not even going to be there. And I'm like, you're, you're going to leave me the keys to the car? All right. <laughs> so, so let's take a drive this morning, shall we? Uh-huh. Uh, a couple of things, just real quick. In the back, back there, there are some resources, and there's a new one that I've got that uh, I want to share with you this morning. It's, um, it's a book that's very personal, and I never meant actually to make any of this stuff public. But it has become public now, and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, I remember meeting Jesus at a young age. I don't remember never not knowing Jesus. I just remember every day seems to be an increasing in awareness of the nature of his holiness to the point where it's almost like you're meeting him for the first time every time you give him a thought. And, but I remember as a child, as a, 
as a child having uh, one of the first open visions. I can't remember if it was a vision or a dream, if I had it while I was awake or while I was asleep. All I know, it was more real than what I'm perceiving standing here. I think I was probably five years old at the time. Um, I know I was five. And, uh, and I remember standing in a crowd of children and looking over the heads of the children in front of me and, and seeing Jesus, and he was sitting and touching children, and he was a ways away. I just remember so vividly him looking up with eyes that looked like, like, they, like they were illuminated from the inside out and seeing me over the crowd as if you're looking at a friend from a distance, and the minute you catch their eye, you know they know you and you know them, and, and there's this connection. That moment, I felt that connection as a child. I remember waking up weeping with a, with a measure of happiness that I don't think I've known even to this day. And uh, I've had a lot of happy moments in my life, but that one seems to have transcended them all. And the older I get, the more vivid that memory becomes. And, uh, uh, and then I remember being filled with the Holy Spirit at a very young age as well. And uh, having a, an, an awareness of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit as, as, a, as a child, and walking in that revelation of the power and the presence of the Spirit, uh, I, I learned to take time to turn my attention and my affection as a young child toward the Lord. And in that time, I discovered something I would call the secret place with God. You know, David wrote, uh, you know, he dwells in the secret place of the Most High, will abide into the shadow of the Almighty. And, and then he goes on to say, and I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. What did he discover? In that place of the secret place, God becomes his refuge, fortress, his God. It becomes personal. And he realizes God is fully trustworthy. And in the secret place with God, he starts to reveal his heart to you. And you discover something in the secret place. You discover that God is looking for people he can trust his heart with, trust the thoughts of his mind with. And he will encounter you with revelations that this generation's not ready to see. I'm just saying, he will encounter you with revelations you're not ready to see. He always shows up better than you think he can be. And he challenges our perceptions of his, his goodness, his heart, and his ability. And, and so in that place, of the secret place, I remember even learning to write, starting to journal things I was hearing from the Lord as a young child. Now I have just tons of journals in my office from a lifetime in the secret place with the Lord. And, and, uh, and I discovered that in the secret place, God will share with you things that you're not supposed to put on Facebook. <laughs> Not every revelation you get from God is meant to be posted online. And when God sees that he can trust you with the secrets of his heart, he'll tell you more. Uh-huh. And uh, so I started writing a lot of those things down probably about 10 years ago, um, putting them together, compiling together what I want my children, my grandchildren to know about the mind and the heart of God. And um, I didn't use my publisher for this book. I just went independent with this book. And uh, my publisher's Broad Street Publishing that did the Passion Translation, and, um, and I, didn't even, I didn't even submit it to him. I just said, I'm just going to publish this super quiet, no marketing dollars, no nothing. I've been in the publishing world for a long time, and I know you don't get anything done without marketing. And uh, so I put this out on Amazon. It came out on a Sunday morning. And uh, that Sunday morning, I was preaching at a United Methodist Church why in the world they invited me there, I still don't know. And that morning, I just, felt this, I just felt this freshness of just revelation from the Lord and the ability to share some things from his heart. At the end, I invited anybody who would like to give their life to Jesus Christ to raise their hand. The entire church raised their hand. 
big church in downtown, downtown Orlando, and it's almost as if I said, everybody raise your hand now. That's, I mean, that was kind of the, the, the effect. And I looked over at Tracy thinking, they didn't understand anything I just said. So I said it again. I said, I'm, I'm talking about surrender. Lay your life down. Let go of the way you've been doing life and let Jesus become the defining, guiding force in your life. Your best friend is, was talked about this morning. Again, literally a whole church, hands go up all over the place. And I thought, oh, we're in a day of hunger for the things of God, a deeper place of the things of God. That was a Sunday morning. The book came out. I didn't have any copies of it. I hadn't even seen it yet. By Wednesday, my phone started blowing up as people were going, hey, you know that book's number one, right? On Amazon. And it was. And the cat actually was number one in four categories. But here was the category that caught my attention the most. New age. Somehow, this little book, all about Jesus, hit number one in the new age category on Amazon. And so, um, it's called Unveiled Horizon, Reflections on the Nature of God, and, and I'm going to have my beautiful bride, Tracy, who says hello to all of you this morning, <laughs> prophetically give that away, that's... Um, that's back there. There's a few copies back there. There's not nearly enough back there for everybody. So you can pick it up on Amazon. <laughs> uh, there's, uh, there's also one other thing I want to mention, and that is um, dear friend Don Wollabaugh and I did a Bible study series on Hebrews. It's just, you can go pick it up at HebrewsStudy.com. It's 21 videos, and we put a name your own price thing on it. We just felt like we just want to put it out there and just anybody who wants to just sow into it can. But it's, it's really all about the new covenant because what I've become aware of as I travel around the United States and really all, all around the world is that the body of Christ, much of the body of Christ has grabbed a hold of a new covenant revelation of salvation by grace through faith. But they live an old covenant lifestyle of relationship with God. And that is that even though they trust in Christ for their salvation, for the most part, you still believe that God's about to drop the hammer on you at any moment. And, uh, and, and <laughs> anyway, the Hebrew study will absolutely upend your perspective of everything you thought of about God to strip it all the way back down to, as we sung this morning, the cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. I, I run into people who have gone through a process of deconstruction. Many of you probably heard this word. It's real common these days. And what I realize is in, in many cases... If the process isn't fueled by rebellious anger against the things of God to throw everything out altogether, it's literally stripping all of churchianity all the way back down to the cornerstone of Christ alone and building again from there. And uh, there comes a point, I think everybody picks up at some point a sledgehammer to sledge against everything that they've believed, but there comes a point where God takes the sledgehammer out of your hand and replaces it with a framing hammer and says, now learn to build on Christ alone, stripped all the way down to just that one thing. That's it. And uh, boy, we've been stripped down in the last three years. And I don't know about you, this may not make sense to you, but I feel the delight of the heart of God as he watches as, as people are coming back to a revelation of Jesus. So I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to just, I want to share three things from the scriptures with you today. And uh, Three things I feel led to, to share with you, and we'll see if we can just unveil some things of the heart and the mind of, of the Lord in this place. Mm. Uh, 
A revelation of our identity always begins in Genesis, and I talk about Genesis a lot, but I'm not going to talk about it in the way that you normally hear, used to hearing me talk about it if you ever hear me teach. I'm just going to say it super quick like this. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3 um, begin with what appears to be, and I believe it is, a picture of the creation of the world, the physical world and the universe that we know as we know it. But prophetically, throughout Scripture, God will layer revelation into the Scriptures. And so if you're willing to see beyond just the words that are written and take the context of all of Scripture, you begin to realize there's certain words and terms that God uses to speak of heavenly things using earthly terms. For example, um, in, the, in the Scriptures, often the word earth is used to refer to humanity or people. And so when you see Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 and you look at it through a prophetic lens, it reads like this. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and God said, let there be light. Okay, so prophetically, that's the way it reads, but prophetically if you look at it and you take it through the entire context of the Bible and grab some prophetic language, you see earth is people, read it like this. Humanity, the earth, was without form that's without identity. Form is shape. Uh, the earth, let's say it like this. Humanity is in a state of being fluid without shape and identity. And void. Void just means empty. Now look around you right now. I would say that we are in that condition even today. Humanity is shapeless, formless, searching for their identity, constantly trying to ask the question, who do you say that I am? Sound like a familiar question? It should. Jesus asked it. He asked it of his disciples. He said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? First he says, who do men say that I am? What's everybody else saying about me? Well, he knows the answer to the question. But then he says, who do you say that I am? And he's not asking because he's lacking information. He's fully aware of his own identity. But what he's doing is he's echoing the primary question of all humanity. And this is what we ask of every person that we ever interact with. Why? Because we have a hard time figuring out who we are by ourselves, so we have to look at somebody else and watch how other people experience and see us in order to determine who we are. Which means, so often, our perception of our own identity is wrapped up in what other people think and say about us, or how they see us. So we're looking at humanity, and without using these words, we watch how they interact with us, and we're asking the question, who do you say that I am? Well, the reality is you're never going to know the answer to that question until you ask the one that made you. <laughs> until you say to Jesus, ask him the same question he asked of us. Jesus, who do you say that I am? And let his answer be the defining point for your entire life and identity to where everything is stripped away other than this one thing, and that is in Christ. Now I come down to this place where in Christ is who I am. And Paul said, according to the new covenant... Since the resurrection, that in Galatians, he says, in Christ there's no slave or free Jew or Greek, male or female, all are one in Christ. So in Christ transcends race, gender, nationality, and social status. It lifts you above the costume-based issues of this world. We live in a world where in our costume, people are trying to go, okay, I don't, they look in the mirror and they go, I don't know who, who I am, and I don't recognize anything here that looks familiar. I've got to be more than what I see in the mirror. But if you don't think that you're any more than your costume, then what you'll do is you'll try to change the costume to discover yourself. So it starts with changing your clothes, changing your look, changing this, changing that, and then you start going, okay, that's not helping me out. That only helped me temporarily. 
And what it does is it actually helps you be accepted by certain groups of people because that's ultimately what we're looking for, love and acceptance. If I change my look and I change my clothes, maybe this group will accept me or that group will accept me. When they don't accept you to the degree where you know you're worthy of being accepted, you change something else. And then we get even more drastic with it. And so what you watch nowadays in this country, we're going, oh my goodness, the world's just devolving into a darker and darker state. No, what they're doing is they're going to more and more extreme measures to try to answer for themselves the question, who do you say that I am? Because we haven't been clear in telling them. You say, are you saying this is our fault? <laughs> I'm saying Jesus said of himself, I'm the light of the world. Then he looked at the church and said, you are the light of the world. You. You're the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. Brighten it up and give it some flavor. In other words, if you don't reveal what God thinks about people and all you give them is your opinion about them, no wonder they're still walking in darkness. Let me say that again. If you don't reveal, if you don't catch the heart and the mind of God and know what he knew from before they were even formed and reveal to them what God says about them, and all you give them is your opinion about them based upon what you see of their costume, no wonder they walk in darkness. Why? Because we have done a phenomenal job. 2022 Christianity, we have done a phenomenal job of perverting Jesus' core message, love your enemies. I have a feeling nowadays if Jesus got up in many of our conferences and said, I got a word for the church. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you, and do good to those who mistreat you, he'd get booed, laughed, and ridiculed off the stage. I'm just saying. How am I supposed to love somebody who is so against or contrary to everything I stand for, the values of the kingdom of God? He prepares a table before us in the midst of our enemies, Psalm 23, for the purpose of what? Inviting them into a communion moment with you where he's included in the meal so that at the table with you, there can be a relationship built. You can reveal the heart of the Father, and that person who was formerly your enemy discovers he's actually your brother. Why? Because what we're looking for in asking the question, who do you say that I am, is acceptance. And we make our acceptance of people a reward for their believing like us. Thankfully, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus grabbed a whole bunch of people who didn't even know who he was and said, come follow me. Then he gave them power and authority. The kind of power and authority we clamor for, that we long for. He grabs unbelievers. That's what they were, unbelievers. And he says in Luke 9, 1 and Matthew 10, 1, Behold, I give you power and authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick. Things that we think belong to a specific, especially anointed group of people. Under an old covenant system, he gives unbelievers the ability to do that. They go out and do it and come back and say to Jesus, Whoa, demons are subject to us. And Jesus goes, Yeah, you know what? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Don't rejoice about that. I give you something to rejoice over. Your names are written in heaven. What? Let's just think about this theologically for a minute. He hadn't gone to the cross, shed his blood, and they didn't even know he was the son of God. How are their names written in heaven? Because from Jesus' economy, he looked at a group of unbelievers, gave them power and authority, and they belonged before they even believed. He didn't give them acceptance as a reward. He gave them acceptance because he loved them, and he knew them before he formed them. He gave them acceptance based upon their eternal condition from heaven's perspective. 
He's looking at them from an eternal perspective, and he's looking at who he made, and he loves who they, he made, not the lies they believe about themselves that they're acting out in these costumes. You catch what I'm saying this morning, you get a completely different mindset, you'll look at the world in a different way. And pretty soon, you won't, you'll stop giving people permission to be your enemy anymore. Because nobody can be your enemy without your permission. <laughs> oh, do I have any enemies? Show me who you're fighting against. Oh, show me your Facebook feed, I'll tell you if you have enemies or not. Is your life defined by who you're fighting against or what you're standing for? When you're standing for something and you're letting your life be defined by what you're standing for as opposed to who you're fighting against, what you're standing for will ultimately, if it's Jesus, which is, I think, hopefully where we all are, if it's Jesus, then the desire of the nation starts to draw people. And pretty soon, the Christ in you starts to pull people who have an appetite to know the answer to the question, who do you say that I am, to somebody who actually has the answer, and that would be you. Because the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? So, <clears throat> the earth, humanity, is without form and void. Darkness is on the face of the deep. The Bible says the Spirit of God brooded, hovered over the waters, and God says, declares, let there be light. So think of it like this. Humanity is without identity and empty. And there is something hiding and obscuring the image and likeness of God in the heart of people. Now, you and I are supposed to unveil that, reveal that, prophetically be able to see into that. Now, in order to do that, I think one of the things that we have to learn is how to literally walk as spirit-led people. This is going to be like a, a spirit, spirit Living 101, all right? So I'm going to need to borrow three people, and I want to show you something really quick. We're going to do a, a kind of a fun illustration here, all right? So let's see. Can you pick three people for me? Yeah, I don't care. Just three, any, any three. All right. Hi, Pam. Good to see you. Pamela, Pam, and Sandy. Sandy, Pam, and Pam. Come on up. All right. All right, we're going uh, to put Sandy right in the middle, right here. And we're going to put Pamela right up here in the front. And we're going to put Pam right here in the back. Okay, now, you, you and I serve, I'm going to super simplify this for the sake of time, because I had a wedding to get to. <laughs> so... So um, you and I serve a triune God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, other-centered, self-giving relationship of love, Father, Spirit, Son, reflected in the human family, Father, Mother, Child, Father, Spirit, Son. Right? So the image of God is actually seen in family, believe it or not, uh, which is why I think the devil attacks family so strongly, because he can destroy the family, he can destroy the clearest representation, illustration to the image and likeness of God that we have, so the next generation grows up really confused. Right? Made in the image and likeness of a triune God, you are spirit, soul, body. You are a spirit, have a soul, live in a body. Right? So this is regenerate humanity right here. Spirit, soul, body. We're going to call the soul, and this is really, really dumbing this down, but we're going to call the soul your mind, will, and emotions. But it's really the glue between the spirit and the body, the thing that pretty much connects everything together. Right? Now, in the fall, something happened. We basically rejected God. And so what we essentially said is not thy will, but my will be done. And when that happened, the spirit and the body switched places. So a body, come on up here, and spirit, go to the back. 
all right? And what the body did is the body wasn't leading by looking forward. Now, the body really doesn't have a whole lot of forward momentum. It doesn't have a whole lot of vision. But what it does have is an obsession with the soul. What's the soul? Mind, will, and emotions. The body wants to be thought about, felt about, and all decisions made with the body in mind, right? So this is the way that an unregenerate fallen person would look. In other words, being led by the flesh but has no idea where they're going. So all they can see is peripheral vision out this way and that way, which is why your life ends up going like this. Bounces from place to place, the occasional success, tons of failures, always this sort of foreboding of I never know if I'm going to like step over an edge going backwards, right? That's the way a lot of people live their lives. Why? Because they're led, body, obsessed with the soul, and the spirit's in the background. And every now and then the spirit will go, um there's a cliff ahead or there's a great open door over there and the body goes, you know what? Shut up. We don't listen to you anymore. You just stay quiet. We don't want anything to do with you, all right? You're, we can't get rid of you, but you're, we're stuck with you. But we got this covered. And that's the way people live their lives with the spirit just basically dormant. And, and here's, none of you signed up to be here. None of us signed up to be here. None of you filled out an application to live. You didn't get to choose your race, gender, nationality, social status, your parents, any of it. You were thrust into this world apart from your will and handed the keys to a vehicle. Some of you wanted a Ferrari and you got a Yugo. I, I get it, right? I, I understand the disappointment. But, so, you know, no offense against Yugo, but anyhow. So, so here you are. Now you're in this, this car. This is what you drive around. This is what you think, this is who you think you are? No, listen. Hey, listen. People are like, I want to live forever. We get focused on the car. And I'm like, I wanted to live forever too until I injured myself checking my blind spot one day. And I'm like, nah, you know, that was great when I was 21. Now that I'm like 50, I'm like, huh, you know, an upgrade wouldn't be bad one of these days. Not a bad deal. Okay, so this, this is not you. This is not you. You actually are a spirit first, right? Or you've heard this said, this is a common phrase. We're not physical beings striving to have some sort of spiritual experience. We are at the core of our being eternal spiritual beings made in the image and likeness of God who are having a temporary physical experience right now, right? And because this life and this physicality is what we see, how we live, so often we think this is all there is, but if you lean in just a little bit to the things of God and give him some attention and affection, you'll begin to discover that there's more. Everybody say the word more. All right. So when a person comes to Jesus, what happens? There is a conversion, we call it a transformation that happens as the Holy Spirit puts you back into alignment with the image and likeness of the one that you're made in, and that is in Christ. So now, body, go back to the back here. You can turn to face the soul. Spirit, you're right out front. Okay, and facing forward. Now, when you're led by the Spirit, this is what happens. Your mind is renewed. Your choices now are, are given over to the things of the Spirit where God puts open doors and opportunities in front of you, and now your choices are made in alignment with heaven. Right? And your emotions are healed. How cool is that? Walking in the Spirit, your emotions reflect heaven, which means righteousness, peace, and joy, or the kingdom of God, reigns in you. You understand joy is bigger than happiness. You can be grieving and still 
have joy. As a matter of fact, you need joy and grief. Why? Because the joy is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so all of these things happen when your spirit is in charge. Now, you say, well, does that mean the body's bad? No. Nothing wrong with the body. The body is a wonderful, beautiful gift to you. It's an incredible student. It's a terrible teacher. An incredible follower, a terrible leader. Now, in the New Covenant, we still have spiritual disciplines, things like prayer and fasting. So let me give you New Covenant prayer. Uh, New Covenant prayer is like this. When you, as a spirit, are communing with heaven, communing with the heart of God, every time you remind yourself there's no distance or separation between you and God, and you give him your attention and affection, you're praying. That's how you pray without ceasing. When you live an awareness of reconciled rest in union with the heart of God, that's praying without ceasing. Right? What about fasting? Every now and then, your body will go, hey, can we? And sometimes your body will have a bad idea. Hey, I got an idea. Can we? Or anything. doesn't matter. Sometimes it's good. You know, I really like that, you know, 16-ounce porterhouse steak. I don't know, whatever. Medium rare, Pittsburgh seared. You know what I'm talking about, right? <clears throat> and the spirit's like, you know what? We do need some protein. Let's go, body. And in alignment, you all like, every, everything's good. And you say, is that godly? Absolutely. That's why, that's why the Lord taught us how to sacrifice. You understand? We call it sacrifice. I think he was like, let's teach these people how to barbecue. <laughs> I think God loves barbecue. I think just do. If you're a vegetarian, God bless you. <clears throat> but barbecue. Okay, so, so, but every now and then the body will go, hey, can we, and come up with an idea that isn't going to serve you well as a whole person, right? The spirit, in alignment with the heart of God and, and heaven, turns to the body and says, no, like a parent to a child. Every time your spirit directs your body, you're fasting. Every time. So I like to do 21-day and 40-day fasts. Well, that's great. <clears throat> if it's God's idea, you're going to be supernaturally empowered with the grace to do it. If it's your idea, we call it a hunger strike, and you can hurt yourself. <laughs> if it's not God's idea and it's your idea, you're just, you're just basically using a religious tool to somehow twist and manipulate God into your will. It's like, it's like I don't ever parent my kids until they go out of control, and then I've got to parent really good for 40 days. And then I go back to the status quo. Stop it. Parent your kids every day and do it well. So this is the way New Covenant fasting, New Covenant fasting looks like this. Every time the body wants something that the spirit knows isn't good and the spirit tells the body no, you're fasting. That is a lifestyle of fasting. And here's the amazing thing. Two incredible benefits to your spirit being in charge and bring your body into surrender and submission. One is this. The body can actually develop an appetite for the presence of God. Walking in this way long enough, the body can actually develop an appetite for the presence of God. David, in the Old Covenant, said, my heart and my flesh long for you. Right? In other words, even under an Old Covenant, David spent enough time focused on the Lord to where he developed a physical appetite in his body for the things of God. 
So now when you come into worship, it's like even your body wants to lift their hands and jump and dance around and sing, get on your face before God. What's happening? The spirit and the soul and the body are in a harmonistic synergy in alignment with heaven. That's beautiful. It's kind of nice when more than just your spirit wants to be in the presence of the Lord, right? But here's the other part. The Bible says if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will make alive, quicken, bring healing and health to your mortal body. So in this alignment, what happens? Your entire body begins to live under divine health. And when you begin to walk in divine health, you're postured in position to release divine healing to those who need it. Awesome. You guys can have a seat. That was easy, huh? <laughs> That makes sense? This is how we discover a little bit about who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. <clears throat> but throughout the course of our life as spirit-led people, we will find ourselves walking out a spirit-led existence in stages. Uh, in 1 John, John 2, this comes to mind, let me just mention this super quick. Uh, John writes uh, to three groups of people, and he says this, I write to you, Children, young men, and fathers. And he's not talking to a specific gender. He's talking to people in stages of spiritual growth. And he says two things about children. And this is people who are walking in alignment with the Lord. He says, I write to you children because, and he says two things, because your sins are forgiven and you know the Father. Your sins are forgiven and you know the Father. In other words, you know that the grace of God has covered you, taken away all your sins, given you a new identity because now you're in the family you know you're a child of the Father. That's childhood stage of walking in the Spirit. And then he goes on and says, and I write to you young men because you're strong. The Word abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. And here's the young man stage, the young person stage. And that is, now you're in the family and you're like, wait, what can I do? Give me a sword Point me at a dragon, let me go slay dragons and fight fires. That's fun. I think that's cool. There's a lot of people out there building their entire ministries on slaying dragons and fighting fires. That's great. I like that. John writes to the young men's stage. I write to you because you're strong. In other words, it's you. You're strong. The word abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one because still at the young man's stage, it's self-focused. It's all on what I do what I've done, what I accomplish. It's very self-focused. But then he says, I write to you fathers. And he only says one thing to fathers. And this is, the, I think, the goal in the journey of walking in the Spirit. He says, I write to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. You have known him who is from the beginning. In other words, you've actually come to an awareness of the heart, the mind, the very indwelling spirit, dwelling with and within the one who is the maker of time, who transcends the linear time, who transcends the bounds of physical existence. In other words, fathers, you've stepped into a different realm where you begin to realize that the kingdom of God has never been threatened before, 
It will never be threatened in the future, and it's not being threatened now, no matter what's happening on the earth, which is mine. Which is why there's, no, there's nothing that you can watch on the news that should take away your peace. Why? <laughs> Jesus said in John 16, 33, he says, these things I write to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He, he's messing with time tenses in this verse. In this world you will have, that's future tense, trouble. Be of good cheer. I have, past tense, overcome the world. What is he saying? I've already been in your future and I've seen every obstacle that you will ever face and I've equipped you with everything necessary to walk through every obstacle and emerge victorious on the other side. This is our posture, though. This is be the young man stage. I don't like obstacles. Take away the obstacles. Yeah, that's, that's not the plan. It's not how I do, do it. The obstacles are there so you discover who you are and who I am in you. Hmm. Okay, fine. I'll fight the obstacles myself. That's cute. You go for it. When you come to the end of yourself, you'll find you were always here and you could have always been at rest. That's okay. Young men got to do that. They got to swing swords and slay dragons. I thank God for them. It's fun. Fun to watch. But I'm getting more toward the father stage where I begin to realize, wait a minute, the kingdom's never been under threat. And I can literally walk in a place of peace as the light of the world into the darkest place in the city, and suddenly it's not the darkest place in the city anymore because I just brought the light of the world with me. <laughs> Woo. All right, so let's read out of Ephesians as we uh, land the plane here today. I want to tell you how strong that overcoming kingdom is in and around you. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, did I say Ephesians 1? All right, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 17 on. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you or give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so the idea here is that we grow in a revelation of who Jesus is. If I can get the worship team to come on back up here, that'd be great. Grow in a revelation of who Jesus is. And then verse 18 says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, I hope that's happening a little bit this morning, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. How, how many of you know that you're, you're powerful? How many of you know it's his power that you have? Okay, it's good. That's what it means to be a father. You know that it's his power, not your own. <clears throat> Verse 20, look, listen to this. This is, by the way, this should be the last word on spiritual warfare. Anytime you start, you read a book, listen to a podcast, hear a message that causes you to suddenly partner with a spirit of fear toward a defeated enemy, I might add, Come back to this scripture and realize where you stand, right? Says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in heavenly places far above. Everybody say above. above. Okay, all, everybody say all. all, principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. The minute something is given a name, it's under the feet of Jesus. The minute something is given a name, it's under the authority of Jesus. The minute anything, disease, I don't care what it is, 
disease, or invention of man. Anytime we name a thing, it's under the name above all names, right? <clears throat> above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, listen to this, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Let me give you some new covenant revelation. We think God is strong, you know, if, if, if oh, we got we to help him out. Oh, Jesus, please come back and fix everything. That's the cry of a church that is waiting for Jesus to come back because they're disappointed with the Jesus that came. In other words, for some reason, when we get our eye on the circumstances of this world, then we get our eyes off of the accomplishment of the cross and what Jesus actually did, not realizing you and I live to enforce the victory of the cross. And you don't live powerless, you live filled with power. So here he says, above everything that's named, not just in this age, but in the age to come. Earlier in Ephesians, he says that he is, his intention is to show you the surpassing riches of his grace, his goodness, toward us who believe, not just in this age, but in the age to come. So I got news for you. Whether it's in where we're standing now or in the future, the goodness of God is going to be seen as better than you know it now. You think he's good today? Hang on, just wait. He's gonna show up better than you ever thought he could ever be. It's not that he's gonna go, you know, Jesus, man, thanks for shedding your blood. Really appreciate that you went and died for all these people. That was a good effort. But those pesky Americans have outsinned your blood. Here's what the cross did. John said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mm, I don't know if I can believe that. John goes on to say, he himself, the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle goes on to say, he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 9 says, Jesus Christ once and for all put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I'd like to suggest to you that perhaps in the world today, even though there's evil and darkness, I don't think it's based on the idea we have a sin problem. I think we have an identity problem because we don't realize what Christ has done and what the cross actually accomplished. Why? Because we haven't read Ephesians chapter 1, the end here. It says, far above all principality power, everything that's named, not just in this age, but in the age to come, says that he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to you, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You might be more saved than you think. You're definitely more powerful than you think. So make it plain, Bill. Okay. This is what it looks to live from a father's heart in reconciled rest. Remember Jesus said, unless you're converted and become like little children, you can't even see the kingdom. <clears throat> when I was a young pastor, my son, who's 28 years old now, when he was just four or five years old, I'd mow the lawn in our yard in Austin, Texas on a hot day. Saturdays, I'd mow the yard, and, and uh, I watched my kid my son Britton, his face pressed up against the glass of the patio, and he wanted to be outside with Dad. And he, anything I was doing, he just wanted to be a part of it. 
And I had seen in a toy store in a Walmart somewhere uh, a mower for children, and it, it didn't hold gasoline, it held soap. And when he, you push it, bubbles came out of it. It's a bubble mower. And so I had an idea one day. I'm going to mow the lawn with my son. I'm going to get him what he can handle. I'll get him a bubble mower. So I bought my son Britton a bubble mower. We went out to the yard one day, and I put gas in mine, and he put bubbles in his. We fueled our mowers up. And there we went. There we're off mowing, and we're going along, and he's just pushing and toddling along, and bubbles are going everywhere. We mowed the yard, and then we parked our mowers in the garage. We went inside and poured a tall glass of iced tea, and we sat down at the dining table to talk about how we had mowed the yard. And when mom came out, we talked to, to her about, we mowed the yard today. Britton and I mowed the yard, didn't we, Britton? Yeah, we mowed the yard. We mowed the lawn. And we got the edges just like she likes it, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we did. In the middle of all of this, our church had bought a piece, it was growing, it was successful, and we had bought a piece of property on the highway, and we just built a brand new building. And we were in, it, just in a state of extreme success and growth. And every time I drive up there, I think to myself, wow, look what a... God, look what we've done. Look what I've done. This is amazing. And one day I'm mowing the lawn with my son and bubbles are going everywhere and I felt the Holy Spirit say, you know, this is us, right? Excuse me? Yeah, your whole ministry? This is us. Oh, and you're, you're the one pushing the bubble more. What? Yeah. Isn't it fun what we get to accomplish? Really, it's all just about that. I just want you with me. I mean, I'm doing the work. So all you want is to spend time with me? That's it? And that's what it means to rest in reconciled union with the Father's heart. To realize from that posture of rest, you are never more productive than when you realize that he's already overcome the world. The increase of his government, there will be no end. His kingdom rules over all, and it's happening right now. I don't care who's president or what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter. Politicians, prophets, and presidents will come and go, but King Jesus rules over all, and his kingdom is never under threat. Stand with me this morning. Say, Bill, I, I need to know this Jesus. I need to know him in this way. I need to know this one who is from the beginning. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. You say, Bill, I don't know Jesus, but I want him to take take charge of my life. I need the Spirit to be in charge. And I need to be in alignment with the heart of the Father, like that. You recognize this morning, you discover, I don't know who I am, but I need that transforming conversion. Every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Bill, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. This is the morning where I say yes to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you right where you stand this morning. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Put your hands down. I want to pray with everybody together. Everybody together. Just pray with us with me and say, Lord Jesus, right now, I receive your transforming grace to bring me into alignment with your heart. Thank you for forgiving me, for saving me, And right now, fill me fresh with the oil and the fire of your Holy Spirit. 
just take a deep breath. <laughs> so Lord, I just pray that you just release over this congregation, over Zion today, just a blanket of reconciled rest in union with the heart of the Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you need prayer for healing today, I know there's ministry teams here and people that would love to pray with you. They're going to be up here in the front. Don't leave today without getting what God brought you here for. Amen. All right, how many of you feel like you just had a meal, right? You, you just ate. That's it, okay? We're, we're partaking and eating of revelation. It's getting broken off to us, and we're eating it. It's filling and sustaining. And I'm telling you, that, that is what brings the body together. When we can rally around his word, his word alone, his spirit. It, it's, uh, are, you understand what I'm saying? Oh, it's so exciting. Well, hey, we're going to uh, release you here in just a moment if, if you need prayer this morning, of course. Uh, but we also want to take up a, an offering for Bill and uh, Tracy Vanderbush for having come up and shared and poured out this morning to us in Revelation. So why don't you go ahead and just make yourself ready as we get ready to receive. Of course, uh, an offering that you would give uh, this way. You can put it in an envelope again with a check or cash. Um, Put on the memo if you're writing a check. Just put on there, uh, you know, for, for Bill Vanderbush. Um, if you're going to use the app, which, again, really is the easiest way, um, in the app you can actually select um, Bill Vanderbush as the, um, uh, the offering that you're going to give to. So lots of easy ways to do that. But why don't you just take your offering in your hand right now, and uh, let's just, we're just going to speak blessings and, and prayer over uh, the Vanderbushes. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that you, Lord, are, <laughs> you are the God who fills all in all through your body. But God, we recognize and we thank, Lord, we thank you for, for those that you have given to us in the body, Lord, that speak your word, that teach and train and, and, and drive us, God, in understanding your word, that we could, as, as Ephesians says later, God, that we could be uh, molded and shaped more into your image, the fullness of the stature of Christ. And so, Father, we speak blessings over the Vanderbushes, God. We speak blessings over them, God, over their time, over their home, God, their ministry, Lord, over their, their study, Lord, over everything that they set their hands to. We speak blessings. And Father, we just respond this morning in thanksgiving. And we say thank you, Lord, for this gift that you've brought to us this morning. And we bless you now in Jesus' name. Ushers, you can go ahead and receive that. And uh, while the ushers are, are receiving the offering, if you've come this morning and you have need of anything in, in the realm of prayer, by all means, come. These guys down here at the altar are full of the Spirit of God, full of the realm of heaven, and want to release that over you, to see the answer, to see healing, to see transformation, whatever it is that you need, we invite you to come. Beyond that, guys, we love you, we bless you. Listen, next Saturday is the New Believers course at 10 a.m. Make sure you get registered. It's gonna be an incredible time. And don't forget the Christ for Kids. We've got rolling with the uh, donations. Please see Derek and Shatisha if you got any questions on that. And uh, we'll partner together to keep changing the city. Amen? All right, guys, we'll give them heaven. Bless you.